Good morning. morning. Y'all seem subdued. Well, as you know, um, I was not here last week, but I had a a pretty good excuse. I was being the father of the bride. So I actually managed to grab a couple of pictures. So... Here we are, just about to walk down the aisle, and then uh, I did get one of the two of them. And if you're wondering why it looks, the setting, we were actually at the Virginia Military Aviation Museum, and so they have all these different planes um, that uh, you can kind of wander around and look at, and so they're looking through the struts, I guess, of a... uh, of a plane there, but anyway, we had a uh, had a wonderful time, and uh, got him married, and all is right with the world. Um, I do before I get into the message, though, I do want to start with something that's kind of related to this. Um, one of Barbara's best friends and was one of her bridesmaids is a late a young woman named Ashley, and Ashley. Uh, had just recently, I'd say within the last month or so, found out she was expecting. Um, However, on Friday, she got the results of a test back that is saying that it's a possibility that the infant has trisomy 18, which is an almost always fatal birth defect. Um, It's got something to do with an extra chromosome. I'm not familiar with all the medical ease, some of our nursing professionals probably can tell you more, but um, I really, uh, she, she, Barbara sent me and, and Sally a text yesterday and just said, would you guys pray? And I said, well, I want to do one better than that. I want to get the whole church praying. And so if you would remember Ashley, she's supposed to be getting additional testing tomorrow. There is, and this is what we're praying for, this, the test that she had, there's always the possibility of a false positive. And so further testing will reveal whether this is really the case or not. And so that's kind of how I want us to pray today, and I would just really appreciate if all of you would just, if you think about it tomorrow, the remainder of today, just pray for Ashley. And so we're going to do that right now. So um, let's just go before God. Father, I, I, I thank you for your healing power. And Father, we as a body lift this young woman up to you now. Father, I, I can't, Imagine the uh, anguish that she has spent in this weekend, just waiting and not knowing for sure. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we come against any defect that may be in this infant. Lord, I just pray that if there is anything there, that you would just heal it now that by the time this is retested, it will truly have disappeared and they'll just assume it was a false positive. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your healing power. We lift Ashley and this baby up before you. Just pray your touch upon her, even at this very moment. Thank you, Lord, and we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to make some of you mad today. 
Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. This is the title of our message today. Tuning the Forked Tongue. Now, how many of you are familiar with A.W. Tozer? If, uh, if you are not, I would strongly encourage you to pick up one of his books. He's a, uh, an excellent theologian, a wonderful writer, deep thinker, uh, but his books are very readable. And so if you fi ever find anything, it's T-O-Z-E-R, A.W. Tozer. Uh, highly recommend. One of the books he wrote was a book called uh, Pursuit of God. And in that book, he gives an example. And he says, if you had 100 concert pianos lined up, and you began tuning them, and you tuned the second one to the first one, and the third one to the second one, and the fourth one to the third one, and on and on and on and on. But that by the time you finished, and the idea being that you were trying to create harmony, the pianos would still be massively out of tune. You will have discord and disharmony even though you've made this attempt to try and tune them. And the reason I sort of latched onto that was I see it as a perfect example of what is happening in our society today. People are tuning themselves to ideas and ways of thinking and, and so forth that only th line up with what they already believe. Nobody wants to associate with anybody that believes any differently than the way they believe. And to make matters worse, when people speak about issues they care about, they tend to do so from this single perspective, and anything else is spoken of in a condescending, a belittling, um, a dismissive tone, and we're entirely intolerant of any other point of view. And to make matters worse, we have social media. Yay! So, big brave us, through the anonymity that social media provides us, can get on there and spew these hateful thoughts and dismissive uh, realities with no accountability because nobody really knows who we are necessarily. And we're always so much braver when we can do it in private than if we were actually face-to-face -face with someone. And so we use tweets, we use blogs, we use posts, and we make our intolerance public, which stirs up even more vitriolic rhetoric from someone who reads it and disagrees with it, and then the cycle continues. And I have found this to be so true. If you ever want to really make yourself depressed, go to any 
basically any blog and read the comments. They're horrible. There's no civility whatsoever. It's just people using bad language. Of course, they try to cover it up with asterisks so that it doesn't get deleted, but the point's still there. You, honestly, you read that stuff and you want to take a shower <laughs> afterwards. I mean, it's that filthy in some cases, depending upon. I mean, and it can be like something so innocuous as, as someone, you know, posts a song. You can look on YouTube and someone's done some sort of a song or maybe they've taken a worship song and they've added lyrics to it. And then you read the comments, it's like, what's the point? Okay, so maybe you don't like it, but do you have to then, you know, spew all this other stuff? And I don't have any statistics, so I can't prove this. So this is my opinion. But I would be willing to wager that probably half of the people making these comments would call themselves or associate themselves in some manner with the Christian faith. You can disagree with me if you like, but I'd say the odds are in my favor. And this is really, this is even sadder, I think, because what is that doing to our Christian witness? How can we go out and try to tell somebody about Jesus who might have read something that we've put somewhere, and they're like, who are you to try and tell me about this God of love you're, you're talking about? Because I certainly don't see any of it in the language you're using. It's even gotten to the point where it's hurting families. Now, we were in our men's study on Tuesday night, and uh, th it was kind of on this subject. The, the subject of the study was churches who had communion services or other kinds of services right around the election, and the idea being to try to bring some healing you know, to a country that's been so divided. And there was a story that was part of that that uh, was a young woman who was saying that she literally was not going home for Thanksgiving for the first time in her life because she knew at some point, and this was after having to unfriend her uncle on Facebook and had gotten into a big argument with her mother, and she said she knew her dad was going to go into this, you know, at some point, and she just couldn't stand the thought of putting herself through that. And so as a consequence, she wasn't even going home for Thanksgiving. And this is a family of Christians. <laughs> this is just plain wrong. And so we're going to take some time this morning to revisit a passage. I think it's a revisit for many of you. I think you'll be familiar with it. Some of you may be hearing it for the first time. If so, that's, that's great. But we're going to go to, anybody care to guess where? Very good, the, gospel, the letter of the book of James. All right, so I'm going to read through this, and then we're going to kind of look at it in some detail. So we're going to start at chapter 3, verse 2. You all are so good. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. 
If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Hello. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All right, so let's break this down a little bit and kind of look at its pieces. So we'll take this first, I guess this is verse two. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. So we here is showing that James is not saying he's any better than anybody else. He's including himself in this. And unfortunately, everything I just said um, I probably have to include myself in that too, right? I'm not any different than, than you all. I'm simply pointing out the problem that we all have. And that's really what James is doing here. And so we are showing the imperfection we have and the sinfulness we have because we're committing these sins with our tongue, with our mouth. And that's what it is. And that's what really hurts to have to admit is the fact that what we're talking about here is not a slip of the tongue. It's sin. Pure and simple. And it's a universal problem, yes? We all have it. It's got to be because what James is saying here is that the only way that it's not perfect, hello, Carmen. <laughs> I always like these bright interruptions. It's great. <laughs> She's cute. Um, Jesus is the only per perfect man that ever lived. True? Okay. So what James is saying here is that if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. So there was only one perfect man. So he's, trip, he's saying that this truly is a universal problem. None of us are perfect. All of us have this issue in one way or another. And as we're going to find out in a little bit, it's not always about what we say. That's part of it. That's not all of it. All right? So let's move on here. We've established the fact that we are not perfect and we all have this problem. So let's move on. 
not quite that far. There we go. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So it sort of seems like the tongue is the last part of the body to really learn its lesson, right? We kind of maybe get the rest of it under control, but that's the hardest part. Um, now I did a little bit of research here, as I, and I'm no expert, but I did find out that depending upon the breed of the horse we're talking about, and, a, and I got Harvey here can, can help me with this, and Christy as well, uh, the average adult horse will weigh somewhere between 840 pounds and about 2,200 pounds. Okay, so Mustangs, I found out, are, are smaller. They're obviously very fast, but they're smaller. Clydesdales, as we all know, Belgian draft horses, big, right? Those are the 2,200 plus pounders, okay? And so that's what we're, we're sort of talking about here. And so Christy was nice enough to bring me a bridle or a bit. This is really not. Anybody want to wear this? This is the bit. Okay. This is what goes in the horse's mouth. Now, if I were, it's really not that heavy as it is, but if I were to take all of this part off, it would be even lighter. It may, would weigh maybe a pound, maybe not even that much. So there's really not that much to it. And then all the rest of this is, are the reins and everything else that's attached to it. So if we just do the math, we're saying that a 15, we'll say on average, a 1,500-pound horse, which is somewhere in the middle of those two ranges. 1,500-pound horse can be controlled by something that weighs approximately 0.06% of the horse's total weight. <coughs> you starting to see the point that, John's, that James is making here? Let's look at the other thing that he talks about, which is the rudder of a ship. I, uh, it's interesting. I did find out that a lot of these giant cruise ships don't really have rudders anymore. They use different um, mechanisms to steer the ships. They don't really have the traditional rudder that the, the Bible's talking about. But the Titanic did have a rudder. I found that out. And you know what? It, weigh, it was big. It weighed... A hundred tons. But you know how much the Titanic weighed? No, but you know I'm going to tell you, right? <laughs> 46,328 gross register tons. That's, that was the size of the Titanic. And so the rudder was 0.22% of the total weight of that ship. So once again, we're talking about something that's, relatively speaking, an almost infinitesimal part of the total. And so it is with the tongue that it has the ability to do very powerful things for good or for not so good. I mean, the rudder of a ship can steer a ship straight into the rocks, as we are very familiar with the story of the Titanic. 
You see, the tongue can stir up violence and it can promote peace. It could soothe the discouraged, but it can also crush someone's spirit. If you let the wrong word slip at exactly the wrong time, it can spoil a precious relationship forever. How many of us have had those moments where you just want to reach and grab what you just said back and it's too late? It's like hitting send on an email. It's like, oh, oh no. The psalmist in Psalm 141 Verse 3, prayed a prayer that we probably all ought to pray quite often. He says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. <laughs> Just got this picture of a sentry kind of standing there. and <laughs> Every time you start to open your mouth with something that's not what ought to be coming out of there. You see, any pretense of being devout that doesn't result in sort of a serious working over of your speech habits is a sham. And here's what I was talking about earlier. You see, the tongue is so much more than what we actually say out loud. In fact, actual speech is only probably a small percentage of how we use our tongue. See, we can't really think without formulating thoughts into words. We can't plan without describing to ourselves step by step what we intend to do. We can't really imagine something if we don't paint a word picture before the eyes of our mind. We can't really write a letter or a book unless we sort of talk it through in our head before we actually put it on paper. We can't resent something unless we first fuel the fires of resentment in ourselves. And we do that through self-talk. We can't feel sorry for ourselves unless we sort of talk ourselves into our own little pity party. How many of you have had those? <laughs> Only one person invited. But you see, if our tongue were so well under control that it refused to formulate the words of self-pity or the images of lustfulness or the thoughts of anger and resentment, then these things are cut down before they even have a chance to live. Let's move on. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, 
setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Well, the last part of that's fairly straightforward. <laughs> saying that, you know, that's Satan at work right there. And how many, you know, relationships, as I said, have been ruined because of things that we've said. And that's certainly a good chunk of them were Satan's intent to ruin. A small fire can consume an entire forest. We see that all the time. Campfires that are left or... Um, <laughs> why this just struck me, but there was a claim we had once when I was at Farm Bureau uh, about a, a, it was a total loss house fire. And those always got flagged, uh, the larger losses, and were, were taken before the board, and they had to look at them. And um, this particular fire started when the owner, in his great wisdom, um, cleaned out his fireplace not so long after having had a fire, put the contents in a paper bag, and put them on his deck. Not a good idea. No. But all there is is just some heat. There were no flames, even, even in that. And what happened? It burned down the entire house. It's a great example of how just something so small can have such a huge impact. And I think within the body, your tongue can really have three, can produce three results. The first of all, it can co co corrupt us entirely. It's a source of pollution and defilement for, for all of who we are, for our entire personality. I mean, think of how you look upon someone, that you, you all of a sudden hear just cursing a blue streak. You generally don't think highly of them. Second, it kind of sets the whole course of, of our lives on fire. And third, as I said, it describes Satan's influence on the tongue. This idea of the tongue itself is set on fire by hell. So nothing good comes of it. Well, I shouldn't say that. Very little good can come of it. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. See, we can tame animals. But we can't tame our own tongues. You ever notice how busy your tongue is? with just creating stuff that's not positive, that's not glorifying either God or anybody else. We've got to keep it under control. Next. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. 
Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What I think James is talking about here is he's looking for consistency. Right? He's saying that we, there's, a, there's the propensity that we're not consistent in what we'll say. We'll praise God in one breath and curse someone who was made in God's very image in the next. And so there needs to be some consistency there. And so what he's saying, in effect, is that we've got to follow Jesus through and through. Right? And turn this blessing-cursing cycle into a blessing-only cycle. It's a high standard. But we really should expect no less of the gospel and the message of salvation. And there's a great danger here. And this is a danger that exists in other places in Scripture. But I think it's particularly pertinent here. We have a tendency as people to take bits and pieces of the gospel message that we like and then discard the rest. See, I kind of like that part, and I like that part. That part I'm not so crazy about. So I'm going to be like, um, well, I'll use Thomas Jefferson's name in vain. If, you, if you're familiar with Jefferson, he cut up his Bible and he cut out the parts that he didn't like. Just modified it. So it was more in line with what he thought. Of course, now he knew exactly what God really intended to say, and so sure he thought, it, uh, thought of it as divine editing. But I, <laughs> I think, you know, I don't know exactly what it was he cut out. I think the healing stories, I guess he decided those couldn't be true, and so he clipped those out. You know, in the end, his Bible was a mess, I imagine. And we have a, their biggest tendency is to do, these, do this with things that are the real challenges. I have to brag on my friend Jim over here. See, Scripture's pretty, um, it's pretty clear that when Jesus talks about fasting, he doesn't say, when you fast, he, he doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. Well, I, Jim and I see each other generally every week, a couple of times, and he has on occasion just mentioned in passing that he's fasting that day. And I'm like, good for you. You're actually doing it. And so many of us think, well, I'm, yeah, I don't know, that's not for me. You sure? So we need to get out of this habit of sort of picking and choosing what aspects of scriptures, you know, really are meaningful to us or speak to us and understand that it's the whole gospel, all of it, that we need to pay attention to. If we have any hope of becoming more like the Jesus we proclaim to follow, so let's summarize here. I think James really brings out six things through the course of this that we've talked about. 
First of all, the tongue holds a key place in our ability to live a holy life. Secondly, the tongue has enormous power for actual harm. Third, the tongue is humanly uncontrollable. Fourth, the tongue involves us so easily in the deadly sin of inconsistency. Right? The blessing-cursing thing. Fifth, the, the tongue's pollution, not its sweetness, that prevails. Have you ever really thought about that? Have you ever really thought about how if you mix like fresh water and salt water, you ain't going to taste the fresh water. You're going to taste the salt water. Right? So the polluting agent is almost always going to overwhelm whatever good it's mixed with. And it's the same thing with language. The cursing is going to get over and above whatever little blessing may come out. Because it's coming from here, ultimately. And what does that say about what's in here? And then finally, the nature of the plant determines the fruit. In other words, loving words can only pour forth from a loving heart. So, how do we fix this? What, do we, what can we do? And I think we need to go back to my opening story about the pianos that... Um, our friend A.W. Tozer talked about, because in that story, he did offer a solution. He says that if you tuned each piano to the same tuning fork, there would be a different result. Then you would have perfect unity and harmony among all the pianos. And that's exactly the way it's supposed to be in the body of Christ, is what he's saying here. When we try to tune ourselves to one another, and especially given the circumstances that I mentioned at the very onset, about how our, our tendency is to only think and associate with and befriend and so forth, those who are of the same mind that we are, We're not tuning ourselves to what is good and right and true. But if each one of us were to tune ourselves to Jesus, the great tuning fork, then everyone would be in harmony with everyone else. And I was thinking about this image that we have, <clears throat> and we get it from Scripture. And it's the Scripture from Revelation 7-9, which I've talked about a lot because of what I did uh, in, for my doctoral work in regards to unity. And in that specific instance, it was talking about um, <clears throat> really sort of ethnic racial, ethnic, cultural unity, all right? And so we, we use this scripture. I'll just read it. It says, After these things I looked, 
And this is what I saw, a vast multitude which no one could count from every nation and from all the tribes and peoples and languages of the earth, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Now, I was thinking about this, and it occurred to me that in relationship to this topic, part of the problem might be in how we think about this. Because if you really stop and think, this is a picture of the future. This is a picture when all the believers are gathered around the throne. Now, granted, it does provide us with a really nice image of what unity is supposed to look like, but I would argue it may not be a whole lot of help to us in this present time. So I think maybe we need to divinely repurpose the scripture and think about it a little bit differently, if only to guide us, I, I, and I'm, I hope you're not hearing me say we need to rewrite scripture. That is not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that sometimes it might help us to, to, to see things a little differently if we substitute some things for what's, what's written there. Like, for example, scripture can make, um, really can come alive sometimes if you add your own name when you're reading parts of it to where instead of it sort of being read in a general sense, you read it as if it was written to you personally. And then, like all of a sudden, it really kind of snaps alive to you, and you're like, oh, that means me. You know, for God so loved Darlene and Sally that he gave his only begotten son. See, and now all of a sudden that makes a whole world of difference. So what I'm suggesting is that we take these four words, nation, tribe, people, and languages, and we look at them a little bit differently. How about the word nation? Maybe we substitute their religions <coughs> to where we think of Buddhists and Shintoists and... Confucianists and Hindus and yes, even Islamists and think of them gathered around Jesus. <coughs> what if we were to take the word tribe and translate that into social or economic status to where we now think of people who are more fortunate than we are to people who are much less fortunate than we are, whether that's from a monetary standpoint, whether that's from an educational standpoint, to begin to do away with some of the biases that we have in those areas. What if we were to substitute for people's Sexual orientation. And to understand that whether, what I, I'm not talking about a salvation issue here. I'm talking about a love issue. I'm talking about a language issue. Okay? And whether they're part of the kingdom now or will be later or may never be, 
we need to love through our words and our actions people who are different than we are. So the entire spectrum of LGBT and whatever else has been added to that that I'm not aware of, those are all individuals created in God's image. And they deserve love and they deserve respect in how we speak to them and about them. And then languages. How about we substitute political affiliation? Yeah, see, y'all were, uh, were better off with the LGBT stuff than you are with having to <coughs> cuddle up with a member of the opposing political party. Now, <clears throat> am I telling all of the liberals in this room that from now on you should watch nothing but Fox News? No. Am I telling all the conservatives that CNN is now your ch channel of choice? No. But I am saying that we have got to get rid of the way we talk to and about people who just happen to believe a little differently than we do. You see, if we don't do this, if the church doesn't do this, nobody else is going to. It's not going to happen. It has to start here. It has to start with you. It has to start with your circle of friends with your family, with your work associates. You have got to stand up for what Jesus believes and what you believe Jesus is all about. And trust me, Jesus wouldn't be saying some of the stuff you read on the Internet. I mean, about as close as he came to it at one point was calling the Pharisees a brood of vipers. Now, I'll grant you that wasn't a really nice thing to say. But it was true. <laughs> However, I would argue that we are probably not in a position to be making those judgments in 99% of the conversations that we have today with people who differ from us. So all I'm really saying is we've got to pay attention to what we're saying when we're saying it, to whom we're saying it. Make it a pledge today that, that your mouth, that your tongue will be tuned to the person and the characteristics of Jesus and not the world. And this goes for self-talk too. Some of y'all are very good at telling yourself how bad you feel or how bad you are or what bad things you've done. That needs to stop too. Let your mouth be used only for blessing. 
and not cursing, whether you're cursing yourself or others. Like I said, there's not, no political party, no actor in Hollywood, no musician. Nobody else is going to be able to achieve this unless we as a church and other churches hopefully have this same kind of a message and are willing to talk honestly about it and confront it and say, it stops now. It has to stop now. Now, I'm not going to monitor you on Facebook. <laughs> I get on Facebook to see what my son and daughter and their spouses are doing. <laughs> that's about the extent of it. And they always come right to the top, so I can just look, okay, that's, nope, I'm done. <laughs> so, you know, what you do is whatever you do. I'm just saying that I think that our world will be a much better, healthier place. And I think you will be a much better, healthier individual if you would pledge now to let your mouth be used only for blessing. Would the worship team please come back up? I know this, this is asking a lot. It's hard. Believe me, I know. I, um, <laughs> I grew up playing athletics from the time I was in grade school all the way through college. And um, athletes talk a certain way. <laughs> and it's not always pleasant and... Uh, sometimes the words, in fact, a lot of the words only have four letters. <laughs> and so it took a while to kind of break that habit, for me anyway. It's kind of a process, I think. I don't think you just, it, you know, we talked about how the tongue is somewhat uncontrollable. I think what happens, though, is this. Once you understand that there's a problem, your mind starts to go to work. You'll say something, and all of a sudden it registers up here. It's like, ooh, I shouldn't have said that. So that'll hap that goes on for a while. Then you'll think it, but you won't say it. So you're making progress, right? You know, it's not coming out anymore. It's still, it's still up here. You're still thinking in blue language, but you're just not speaking it. And then eventually that stops too. If you stay with it. Not to say that if you hit your thumb with a hammer, some of those words tend to find their way back from oblivion, but you know, hopefully that's the rare thing, right? 
So I, I would say today that if this is something that as we go uh, kind of transition into uh, some, some final worship, that um, if this is something that is really a struggle for you, in other words, this kind of goes beyond just the, you know, you, you thinking, yeah, that is something that I definitely need to work on. If you're more at the, oh God, this is a huge problem in my life, then find somebody, and I would ask some of the prayer team if you would come up <coughs> um, and just be available. Go to someone and just, there's a lot of power in saying, I have this problem, will you pray for me? And I don't understand necessarily why that, um, you know, the power that is in this, this idea of really kind of confessing it, but it somehow breaks part of the hold that Satan may have in that area of your life by just actually speaking it. And so go to someone, all right, I know there are more prayer people in here than what are I'm seeing up here. <laughs> Start grabbing you out of your seats. Oh, that wasn't a very nice thing to say, was it? <laughs> hmm? I was going to bless them by lifting them up and helping them <laughs> towards the front. How's that? Better? Um, if this is an issue with you, then, then while our worship team is playing, um, find someone and, and go to them and, and get prayer for it. You know, ask for God's assistance in this. It's, we all have to have it. Well, Lord, I thank you for uh, this, for this message, for this reminder that we need to control this tiny but powerful part of our bodies. Father, I pray for each and every person here that you would allow them the grace to overcome any issues they have with this. Father, I ask that they would be able to give themselves grace for mistakes they may make in the future. As we all work and strive towards becoming more and more like your son Jesus, our true tuning fork, the one that we need to be tuned to. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.